live from Studio G in Minnetonka, Minnesota. This is Your Greenhouse Home, the podcast. And I am your host, Jesse, lover of all things green. Let's get started. All right, here we go. Welcome to the podcast. This is episode six of Your Greenhouse Home, the podcast. I'm your host, Jesse, and I'm here today with our guest, Ryan McEnany. He is the marketing director at Bailey Nursery, which is a local, uh, I would call it a wholesale grower and distributor yep. of perennial plants, uh, small trees and shrubs, uh, a very well-established business. Uh, and Ryan, you just came out with a new book. So you're an author now. I know. I never thought that I would be there. It was never a goal, but here we are. Yeah. So it- the book is called Field Guide to Outside Style, Design and Plant Your Perfect Outdoor Space. And I just actually got to sit in on a talk with you that we had here at Tonkadale. Remember, guys, Tonkadale is a retail garden center in Minnetonka, Minnesota. We were lucky to have Ryan as our guest, uh, as our featured guest today. He led us through his book and it got me jazzed for spring. But hold on, let's rewind a little bit first. Tell me a little bit about um, what Bailey's is, your position there, and just like the rich history that uh, Bailey's has in our industry. Uh, you know, we're both from family businesses, so we kind of know the ins and outs. Bailey's is, you know, twice as old and 20 times, I, I don't know the exact <laughs> number, as large as Tonkadale, but start us off. Yeah, we're a 118-year-old grower, mm-hmm. and we started here in Minnesota, just outside St. Paul. It was my great great grandpa. Okay. So I'm fifth generation. Wow. Uh, started growing uh, fruits and vegetables on really, really terrible soil and use that to start amending the soil and then started selling at the St. Paul Farmer's Market. And okay. he was the first person to have a vehicle at the Farmer's Market. And so then we were able to do two or three times what everyone else was doing. And so that really started catapulting our growth. And from there moved into Woody Shrubs. And mm-hmm. from there, it's just, it's really grown. And we're now the largest grower of trees and shrubs in the state of Minnesota and one of the largest in the country. In the country, yeah. And so we grow a bunch of our own plants, but we also own three consumer brands. And so that's mm-hmm. partly where I fit in as well. I'm the marketing manager for Bailey, but all of our brands. And okay. I'm the spokesperson for our brand, so I get to do fun stuff like this and travel yeah. around and help people have success in the landscape. Success in landscape is is what it's all about because we want people to garden and continue to garden because gardening is something you do over a lifetime. Yeah, and it, things change and yeah. plants grow and evolve and fail sometimes. And that's where you get to have a lot of fun, I think, with it too. Like, it's, it's you're playing in the space. And when things work, that's amazing and mm-hmm. celebrate those and find things that complement them. And when they don't, you learn from it and try on it. It's, it's sort of like metaphor of life, right? But we get to create really beautiful, functional spaces outside. A lot of lessons uh, learned in the garden. There are so many. <laughs> patience being a oh, key yes. one. Oh, yes. Patience being a key one. Okay, so you have uh, Bailey Nursery. We're lucky to have you here in Minnesota. You talked today uh, in your talk about, you know, we're zone four growers. So uh, for those of us who don't necessarily understand what zone four means, uh, just like quickly, quickly, uh, USDA has, you know, plotted out 
our areas of the country and regions. Um, kind of if you go from a lower zone to a higher zone, it kind of dictates or guides us to what we can plant in those areas, what will survive our coldest temperatures in the winter. Is that kind of an easy way to yeah, explain it? Yeah, it's about the coldest temperatures that we experience, how long we sustain right. that. And then on the flip side, there's also the American Horticultural Society heat zones. Mm-hmm. So for those in warmer climates, it's more about the sustained heat. Right. So for us, it does. It helps tell us what we can and can't grow and for me, you know, I don't like hearing no very well. Yeah, so no. even if it, we say like, no, we can't grow it, then we throw it in a deco pot and bring it inside in the winter, right? Right. Yeah, we figure out a different way to enjoy it. Or we just go on vacation. See it there. Especially days like this when we are covered <laughs> in two feet of snow and it's 10 degrees. Vacation sounds really nice. So does the book focus on mainly plants for zone four and gardens? The book covers a whole swath of the country. Okay. So I wanted it to be accessible. So whether it's you're reading it for yourself or you're gifting it to someone, right. that you'll always be able to find something. Mm-hmm. So like at a really high level, it's telling people how to create a beautiful space that is connected to them and who mm-hmm. they are and what they appreciate. But there's plants in there for everyone. Okay. But there are certainly plants for or plants in there for those of us in Zone 4 because right. that's our backyard. It is. And... You know, even if there's a certain plant that grows really well in one area of the country, there's usually a parallel or a substitute that you could use in our part of the country. Yeah. Or even just looking at the, you know, the design pillar that, you know, dictated. I keep saying the word dictated. It's not a friendly word. Um, even the, you know. Yeah, the design, you find what you love about right. that plant. Mm-hmm. And even if it's like an agave that right. we can't grow outside here, at least mm-hmm. year round, is it that you like the color of it is right. it like that really cool sage color or do you like the really sharp edges mm-hmm. of it like find that and you can right. find a complementary plant that will work for you in zone four right so the design element is the color the structure of it how you place it in a repeating pattern exactly. etc okay so you talked uh you talk a lot about design elements in the book what are the design elements that folks should consider when like jumping into a garden project or even while they're already in a gardening project something they've been working on over time well there's there are so many and I think that's what can be overwhelming at first is like you have to think about color texture scale all of those pieces that like make it a sustainable landscape over time because most of us have a good enough eye that we could put something together that looks really nice today but is it going to look really nice in two three five years so understanding like how plants grow together and how they work together their seasonality of their color if they're blooming or texture or the blooming or the leaf like all of those pieces have to play well together. And so that's what I try and do in the book is break that down a little bit. Because if you just say, oh, my God, I have to like look at these 10 design elements and figure out how to make that work in my space. That's really hard. Right. And so taking that step back and I, I talk through like dates at home for right. how you how you figure out what your light has to offer you. And not just like am I planting in full sun or full shade, but how do you use that light to accent the texture of a plant or like you can see through the leaf or the flower, things like that, looking at your soil and understanding what your soil type is and how to either adapt the plants for it or adapt the soil to the plants that you like. All those pieces, like you take off in bite, bite sized chunks. So it Mm -hmm. doesn't get overwhelming. And then you start to pull all those pieces together in the end. That's awesome. So you talked about uh, these day dates and I think you walk us through Uh, what to think about when designing a garden using kind of the metaphor of how you might move through the day uh, with a special someone or even just on your own. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So in the book, I have little recipes. So like if you're starting your morning off for like a little coffee walk around the neighborhood. Okay. 
give you a couple different ideas of what drinks you want to carry with you and then go figure out, look in your neighborhood and figure out what you like and what you don't like. Is it you love the specific plant that they have in your yard? You really don't like that they have deco pots in the middle of their 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 beds. You really like their fence. See what other people have mm-hmm. to give you sort of a starting point because that's the hard part, right? It's like, where do you start with some of this? It right. doesn't matter if you have a totally blank slate or if you're just trying to adapt something you already have. The starting point is always the hardest. And so look at the inspiration around you to to give you that inspiration Mm -hmm. at first. And sometimes it might be a good idea to go to different neighborhoods. I think when you, you know, you live in a certain type of neighborhood, maybe there's established trees or, you know, a certain style of architecture. But if you could move through the neighborhoods or even throughout different parts of the city, you're going to see uh, different styles and, and different plants repeated in different spaces. Totally, because it's not fun. just like it's not just about what you like initially envision for your yard. Mm-hmm. Find things that you're like, oh, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And like maybe I wouldn't use that exact same color, but like what is it that you like about that planting and then how can I relate it back to me? Mm-hmm. And you're totally right. You're not going to see that necessarily all in your backyard because a lot of when the developments are created, they're all similar-ish styles. And so mm-hmm. to break out of that, I think, is is really important. Okay, so we had our morning coffee. What do we need to do next? Then we had to th- start thinking well, well, hold about... on. What kind of coffee did we have? Well, I don't drink coffee. I'm what, so wait, weird. What? <laughs> okay, you might have had tea or... I have a hot chocolate. Hot and, chocolate. Yeah, hot chocolate in the winter and like a tea or okay. something iced in the summer. Perfect. Then we move on to brunch. Um, Love it. So the way that I talk about it, this is where we learn about soil. Okay. Okay. And so, like, not the most fun topic, probably. I love soil. I so, it, like, it's a, it's really important. On the, all day. So, okay. this is where we do brunch. And yes. so, if you want to geek out, then you can get all of your friends really excited about soil, too. So, what I say is have everyone bring a cup of dirt from their yard, oh. bring it over, yeah, and then you do a soil test. Okay. Which is going to take a couple days anyways, because you have to mm-hmm. let it all, sift, you know, sealed out. Si- sift out. You got to let it all sift Settle out. Settle <laughs> yes. out, whatever. So, you're going to have, you know, bring them, have them come over with their soil. You're going to dump some water in it that you can learn about the soil test in the book. Mm-hmm. And then you have brunch. Okay. And so if you want to geek out, you can talk about the different soil types and what that impact that has Sand, on the... silt, loam. Yeah. And if you don't care so much about soil, then you have some mimosas and hang out. <laughs> so the type of soil is going to uh, play into the type of plants you can select. Um, and I noticed in my yard... I mean, while the soil might all be similar, what can be different, I guess in certain parts of my yard where I've worked more or added compost or added organic matter, the soil is richer and, um, you know, plants do better there. But with the soil, you're going to have like different elevations and different types of drainage. So it's almost like if you have the same soil kind of throughout, you can still have different growing requirements. Yeah, you're going to have different pockets for sure. And like we have parts of of our yard that just retain a lot of water. Mm-hmm. They're a little more clay heavy, and they retain a lot of water. And then we have some that are is really sandy on the top of our hill. Yeah. So yeah, you are going to have different. So understanding what those pockets are, and sometimes even within a bed, like you said, if there's an area that you've worked and have really great soil, and mm-hmm. especially if you've got some ornamental grasses or herbaceous perennials that you will cut back and let sort of decompose into the yard, you're going to have a, a greater pocket there. But that soil is the foundation. It's like your house. Like, if you don't have a good foundation, the house is going to crumble. Same here, where if you don't understand what soil you have and adapt your planting to it or adapt the soil to the plants Mm -hmm. you want, then it's not going to be a sustainable landscape. And it might look good right now, but 
right. give it six months or a year or two years, yeah. and that's when you start well, to see failure. Yeah, uh, moisture retention and making it through the winter are really important factors yeah. for these types of perennials plants. So, do you rec- recommend amending soils, like if you're planting in a new bed or you have a, you know, a few plants that you're installing? Do you find that amending the soil in the direct area can help, you know, increase? Uh, plant success? I think it depends on what plants you want to put in. Mm-hmm. You could have a full sand bed and yeah, hydrangea is not going to survive there unless you amend it. But if you plant something that is intended for soil, for sandy soil, mm-hmm. then it's going to thrive. So I guess it's sort of both ways. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to cheat and yeah. say it's both. Yeah. Either you can just say, all right, I got a lot of clay. So I'm going to plant things like asters that do really well in clay. Or you can say, I don't really want that look. I really want something else. And then you amend it and mm-hmm. add things in that will break up that clay. Who is, who's going to help us know what grows where? Well, you can come to some of your favorite gardens. Oh, centers, like geez. Yes. I, and I bet that they can help coach <laughs> you through some of that. <laughs> yes, we can. And I think, you know, it's not just this one plant only grows in this one soil. A lot of plants, you know, can adapt and are successful in different types of soils. But anyway, yeah, that, those are the questions that we can answer here. You know, we're on the ground. We have experience with these plants, familiar with uh, how they thrive. And so uh, just getting started can be really intimidating, especially when you're investing a lot of time and money into your landscape. Yeah, it, it's it's an expensive hobby. It can mm-hmm. be. And so that's why this foundational stuff is so important, because okay. you want people to spend their time and resources in a way that's going to be beneficial. And so you don't want to plant something that's intended for sand in clay soil because it's not going to be successful. And then right. like that's a bummer and they might not come back and try again. And right. so that's what this is all about. And that's what you guys do so well at Tonkadale is helping people have success in store, on social, online. Right. You've got such great guides that help people through that. Like we have to take some of that intimidation factor away mm-hmm. and um, do it in a really approachable way. Right. And I think you guys do such a great job with that. Okay. So we had brunch. I had, I think I had like a farmer's breakfast. I had a scramble with <laughs> bacon and some toast, butter, and jam. What did you have? Okay, I'm really bad at, like, breakfast. So brunch I love because you can have a little bit of, like, the lunch experience in there. Yeah. So even, like, a croque monsieur is, oh, like, that's, that's my jam. Like, I'm into that. What is that? It's, like, basically toast and egg and, like, oh, yes. the sauce on there. It's almost like a gravy. And it's, it's just so good. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I, I had a protein bar for breakfast. <laughs> Because I didn't give myself enough time to uh, make anything. Uh, but you know what? Hey, I'm sustaining. Okay. Next, do we do we have to go to happy hour? What are we doing at happy oh, hour? we got to go to happy okay. hour, right? Yeah. It's the fun part of the day. We're yeah. talking about light now. Okay. And, of course, we, you've got full sun. We've got full shade. We've got the mixtures in between. And, you know, you can look up and everyone maybe has a little bit different. Like, is it four to six hours? Is it two to three? So, like... Like how you define Yeah. Is it, like, sun. full sun versus mm-hmm. part sun, part mm-hmm. shade? So, like, that's, again, sort of like a foundational piece mm-hmm. where you don't plant something that's intended for shade in full sun because it's going to burn. Burn, yeah. But I think the other fun thing, especially at the happy hour time, is just to see how light dances through your yard. And thinking about as sun is setting, what textures do you want to pull out? What colors do you want to accent? Mm-hmm. And like, what is that different color of ray, sun, the rays of the sun? How is that impacting what you plant? And what can that do to some of the color and texture in your space? And so, like, you have to understand the full sun, shade, the combinations thereof. Right. But also think about light in that other way of how it plays with the well, plants. you know, there's kind of the two extremes. There's shade, 
really shady and you got to be careful because things that need full sun are not going to thrive in shade. And then there's full sun, which is, or, you know, all day hot sun that's going to bleach and burn certain things, but certain things are going to thrive there. And then there's kind of all the in between. And (laughs) I mean, just like, don't get too serious about it because a lot of plants are going to live in that in between, which is, you know, morning sun, afternoon sun, late, you know, early evening sun, whatever it is. Um, it can change the performance of the plant, but it doesn't necessarily change the enjoyment of the plant. Especially for us here in Minnesota. Right. It's like, it may feel like we have a lot of extremes, especially mm-hmm. on really cold or really hot days. Right. But from the sun standpoint, like, it's not that extreme. Like, we talk about, I talk about hydrangeas all day long, mm-hmm. every day, especially yes. with our brand. You sell a lot of hydrangeas. We sell a lot of hydrangeas. <laughs> but, like, endless summer in Atlanta mm-hmm. really does need that morning sun and afternoon shade. Whereas yeah. in Minnesota, we can really grow it in full sun and it's going to it's gonna thrive. Yeah. So, like, we do have a little bit of that flexibility here. Mm-hmm. So, that's where I'm like, let's shift some of the conversation and talk about how the sun plays with the plants rather okay. than what it's going to do to keep them alive. Well, that is magical. And then especially when you add in, you know, all the visitors to the garden with the light. So you might have dragonflies or, you know, hummingbirds or songbirds and just the beauty of light and nature kind of like coming together. It's it's some of my favorite times of the day that coffee time and that happy hour time are some of the most beautiful times in the garden. Well, and it's it's all of those fun visitors it, interacting with the plants. And it's also some of your hardscaping and like mm-hmm. having cutouts in the fence that will like shine and reflect that mm-hmm. through onto the ground. Like those things are fun to play with as well. Or if you have any like structural elements, mm-hmm. like garden art, um, if that's your thing, you know, if you do that, that can also add just like Big some stones. other cool. Yeah. yeah. can the add just so bench. much more to what the the garden looks like at different times of day. Yeah. And different, it will create different views too. So if you're looking at it from the front of the yard versus on the porch versus driving up the driveway. So you just have to like meander with your cocktail. Yeah. So what are you having for happy hour? Oh, I love an old fashioned. Okay. I love an old fashioned. Okay. Now is it, I don't, under, I don't understand all the ins and outs of whiskey. Is it? Whiskey? Is it rye? Is it bourbon? You can do any of them. Any of them. Okay. I like a rye, mm-hmm. bitters, a little orange, a little sugar. Mm. So good. Can you add any like herbaceous flavors in there? Yeah, actually, I just have been trying these new um, non-alcoholic mixers too, okay. the Seedlip ones. Ooh. And I made one yesterday because we had uh, like a diaper party for my brother who's having a baby oh, in the cute. afternoon. So like, we don't need cocktails right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did one, and they have a mix called Garden, uh-huh. and we mix it with a little pineapple juice, a little mm-hmm. soda water, and that Garden mix is like almost like a little basil in there. It's so good, so refreshing, so good. Oh, love it! I'm having a glass of Pinot Noir. Love. I think that it's just kind of basic, but real full-bodied, kind of coats your mouth, swirl it a little bit. Gets you ready for dinner, garden. maybe a little cheese with it. Oh, yeah, cheese. Okay, amazing. <laughs> Sold. So what else do we need to do uh, throughout the day to get ready for garden design? Well, then we get to dinner. Dinner. And this is like, you know, the heavier moment with mm-hmm. the heavier food. So this is where we talk about the scale and scope of the project. Okay. So, we gotta, you know, we have to talk budget. I was going to say, we're going to talk like about the budget. money part. Yeah. And so, like, maybe that's why you need a second glass of the Pinot Noir. <laughs> <laughs> like, get through the conversation. But okay. it's important. Like, you have yeah. to know. And if you're going to be doing a lot of hardscaping, that's very different than if you're buying some plants you know Mm -hmm. like 
irrigation, all of those other like structural functional pieces that Mm -hmm. aren't maybe as fun and sexy, but like you got to talk about it because that's going to impact what else you do. So are you doing like your entire backyard like I am because I had a blank slate or are you just doing your patio and putting together some pots or are you doing some stuff indoors and thinking about how you combine the indoor outdoor experience? Like having that understanding, that conversation Mm -hmm. with yourself, if it's just you with your spouse, your significant other, your family, like you have to have that understanding before you can really dive in. Otherwise you're not setting yourself up for success. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, a garden experience or like you said, a backyard or a patio, it's not something you can do on a one Saturday necessarily. You know, you can get a start, you can start to experience what you're looking for maybe install a few plants but it it takes some time and thought especially if you're gonna do it yourself it does i mean from just going out and shopping to then getting them in the ground i am terrible at over shopping and i'll get like 30 plants i'm like i'm gonna get it done this weekend and you can't get it all done by yourself i mean you can but i'm maybe just too lazy of a gardener (laughs) it's i mean digging holes is hard work i have my uh, especially for some big shrubs i live with a hole digger at home my husband will (laughs) dig holes for me i think one um one summer we ripped out uh, you couldn't even when we bought our house you couldn't see it from the road because it was so overgrown with like buckthorn and amir maples and gross stuff (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Couldn't see our house, so we got it all cleared. Uh, new soil, uh, replaced boulders, um, all kinds of things. I think he planted 90 plants in one day. Gosh. He's a better man than me. He was <laughs> dirt. He looked like he came out. Of, Just hose him down outside. Yeah, like a coal mine or I don't know. Anyway, that was, that was a victory, a garden victory day. So, like, at your house, you could do that in one weekend. At my house, I would end up killing half of the plants because I would be like, ah. I'll do it tomorrow and then it would be you three weeks later. Leave, you can't just leave them in the pots because you got you to gotta keep them even more watered. Yeah, so like being realistic about yeah. like what this is going to look like for you. Yeah. The time and the money and the sweat equity that goes into it. Okay. Like this is where you have to figure that out. And then like understanding why you're doing it in the first place. Like right. is it functional? Mm-hmm. Do you have a really wet spot in your yard that you want need either drain tiles or you need to put in plants that can help soak up that water? Is it right. I just want a more beautiful front yard? Or we host a lot of dinner parties and we hang out on the patio and I want to beautify that like understanding why you're getting into it really connects with like what you want to put into it yeah so having that conversation up front is important is it ecological is it you want to support habitat for pollinators or food source for songbirds um what is it i i my garden i feel like ties me to my community um, we do most of our gardening in the front yard because we have a pretty steep slope and a rock wall situation in the back. It's very shady. So I'll do container, container plants and things back there. But uh, I do most of my gardening in the front yard. And I always feel like my garden connects me to my community because you're out there um, working in the garden. And folks, we, you know, everybody's out walking their dog, riding their bike, you know, kids. Uh, people stop and they want to talk. They want to ask you what you're doing. They admire the beauty. So obviously it's a huge you know, boost for me where I feel good about, you know, what I'm doing and I'm proud of my work. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for me, gardening connects me to the community um, because it's a gift that I can give to our neighborhood. And I can also teach people about my love of plants or, you know, if we do have company, we have a big front porch, we can sit out on the porch and enjoy that garden space as well. So that's why I garden. I think that's so beautiful. And 
in the book, there's a bunch of pictures um, from my friend Kelly Norris's uh-huh. his landscape, and he took out all the turf, and he lives in a residential neighborhood, and mm-hmm. he planted the entire front yard. But as he was doing that, he intentionally built in paths that go to the street okay. because he wanted to make it obvious that people were welcome to come right. in and experience right. it. And that was so much of why he did this because, yes, he wanted to create a, a native landscape and a great pollinator a pit stop, mm-hmm. but also to like help people in his neighborhood understand that that is doable, that's mm-hmm. real, and like teach them about some of these fun, cool new plants that he's got. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that I think that community piece of it is so intriguing it's it's real it's really it's really important to me it's it feeds me well gardens are emotional yeah they're very personal oh, and you know yes. like there's we have so much pride in it and that's where like being able to like add some of your own personality mm-hmm. to like into the landscape is so important so then when you do have people over you can take them on a walk and they might not be plant people and that's okay yeah but like even my husband who doesn't know plants like now he at least can know what a hydrangea is and he likes to say physocarpus because it's oh, the yeah. one Latin name he knows and like yeah. that's cool that's he's proud of it he gets to go around now and show people when they're at our house like that's a physocarpus and he feels really cool about it like yeah. that I think is so fun yeah it is a, it's a way to connect with people so you talked about your friend Kelly Kelly Norris yes uh, landscape architect um, you talk about three gardening personas or landscape design personas now you're a marketing guy so to me, I, I like, I heard that and immediately I thought that's a huge, a great parallel to, I think, um, Bailey's you have, what do you call them? Um, you, do you guys, do you still have the, the, uh, customer profiles where you yeah. kind of, you'll direct your marketing towards yeah. Jim, the stay at home dad who yep. wants to grow vegetables or, you know, uh, who else, who are who, who would those personas be? Yeah. I, I think that going into this there are so many different you know this book is all about like finding your unique style right and so trying to write something that people can connect with you have to put like some sort of construct around it so I created these archetypes archetypes that fit like (laughs) the big broader categories right so Kelly Norris being such a great friend, but also just a huge inspiration to me was the inspiration for one of them. So we have Kelly, we have Martha and we have Tommy to help like look at some of these bigger, more distinct style differences so that people have something to relate to. Mm -hmm. And they might not say I'm an, I'm all Kelly. Mm -hmm. They might say I'm Kelly with a little bit of Martha. And so as you go through like the back half of the book, Mm -hmm. I explain what some of those archetypes are. So Martha is like the really classic, traditional, not boring, but classic traditional landscape. Martha hangs out with, with Snoop. (laughs) She's pretty, she's, the hippest, like, 80-year-old that yeah. I know. She's amazing. So, like, not boring, but more of, like, that mm-hmm. traditional, like, cottage garden-y look. Mm-hmm. Then you've got Kelly, who, inspired by Kelly Norris, whose latest book, New Naturalism, is all about that, creating that really intentionally wild space. So it looks more like a native prairie, mm-hmm. but it's really intentional, so it doesn't get overgrown and too hard to maintain right. for, like, right. a real normal person at home. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the other extreme, and you've got Tommy, who is more rigid, clean lines again not boring but it's just a more structural space and so like being able to find a way to connect with one of these archetypes and then as you go through the book we have case studies in there so you can see like okay this is how a person would actually take this and make it at home we talk about the design elements of color texture shape light scale all of those things 
and then talk about what each of those personalities or those archetypes would, how they would utilize that in their space. Right. So like there's some real tangible takeaways so that you can read through it and say, okay, I associate myself. I'm a Kelly. That's something really specific that I can go in my landscape and create something. Yeah. I think, I think that's really amazing. I, I was like, I can't pick one. <laughs> I like them all. They're all my best friends. Same. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's interesting though. You're like, I'd really love to be a Tommy. Because that looks so cool and yeah. so modern. But then I actually go to, I could even buy the plants to be a Tommy. <laughs> and then I am probably a mix between uh, a Kelly and a Martha. Uh, one thing I found that was interesting, you talk about the plant prairie drop seed, yeah. which is uh, native to North America, native to our region, right? Yep. Um, and you talked about how Martha would use it, how Kelly would use it, and how Tommy would use it. Tell us how the three... Uh, archetypes would use that same exact plant. Yeah, I think that's one of the fun things about this whole design process is a lot of these plants can be used in any of them and it's just how you apply it. And so Martha would probably use it in like probably a bigger swath. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's going to have a more traditional look to it. It's going to add some of that late season texture and that that is what it's there for. It's a it's a maybe like a clump, like yep. you said, a swath planted in mass. Yep. And it's going to be mixed with other like typical cottage garden plants that will show off later in the season, like roses, mm -hmm. uh, things like that, that are going to give add some of that color so that when you've got that uh, more neutral um, texture of the, the that foliage late in season, it still has that brightness. Right. Kelly is maybe going to use two or three in a little clump and then two or three in another area, but it's like coming up through other plants. Okay. So Kelly, um, and if you read Kelly's book, he talks a lot about this matrix planting, mm -hmm. which is sort of like the new way of talking about how you plant plant communities closely together and how they work and how their root systems work together and all that. It's like, it's super, super interesting. Yeah. Um, but being able to use something like prairie drop seed as like that little burst of texture that comes up through other plants. Mm -hmm. Whereas Tommy would use it probably as a specimen. Mm -hmm. It would be a single plant that it is like sharp blades. So it fits that Tommy aesthetic, but it would be by itself probably with some space between that and whatever is next to it, which also probably would have some of that same sharp texture. So it, you can use stuff like that in all three different archetypes and just apply them in different ways. And it's so cool to see like, that's the same plant, but it feels so different. And it's a cool plant and it's hardy in zone four. Yeah. All right. So it's a native <laughs> plant to our region. You talk uh, in the book about this new age, <laughs> I'm joking, <laughs> new age term. No, this term is native ours. So you're uh, mixing a few words together. Talk about native ours and uh, why they're important. You know, we hopefully most of us know like what native plants are. Maybe not. You can talk about that. And then some of us might know what cultivars are. When you mash them together, yeah. it's like a glee moment. Yeah. So native plants are plants that have evolved in a place over centuries. Mm -hmm. So they are considered native when they have evolved with the rest of the species around it. So when we're talking about pollinators especially, that's a really important piece that like, they work together. Um, but it's also like the ecological benefits of it too. So working with the nutrients in the soil, we're talking about water retention, like things that work in place. Mm -hmm. Cultivars typically have some sort of human intervention, whether it's breeding efforts, it is selection um, out of nature and taking it into a 
propagation or production setting. So there's some sort of interference. So when you combine them, but you, interference, it's not just necessarily not a like, bad thing. Not a penalty. No type interference. Nope. <laughs> but not hockey. Not hockey or throwing a flag in football or whatever. But interference. I don't know. I think people are like, oh, it was messed with. It's a cultivar, but it, still, there's some really gorgeous, functional, beautiful plants in the cultivar realm, yeah. same within the native realm. And then what happens when you mix them together? Well, and I think that's sort of the beauty of this nativar. You have a plant that is native or has evolved in that place. Mm-hmm. So what, it, what you know, the book talks a lot about what the, your space gives you and then what you put back into it. The space is giving you native plants, but sometimes native plants can be a little bit rangy and they might have some disease or pest issues that has have changed as, as everything has evolved. They can be, they can be really aggressive yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. And so a cultivar, again, it could be some a little bit of breeding work was done. It could just be that something was found in nature and has evolved differently. And it's maybe what they call it a sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and so taking that and bringing that into a production setting and being able to release that gives you sometimes better shape, better texture, longer lasting blooms, better disease resistance that fits better in a landscape of today. So taking something like buttonbush, which is a fabulous plant, especially if you've got a wet area in your yard, you're doing some wetland restoration, you live by a pond that you need to like soak up some of that water. Buttonbush is a fabulous native plant to our region, but it can get eight, nine, 10 feet tall, super rangy, doesn't have great form. So there's a new cultivar that has been introduced called fiber optics button bush. And it's got a really cool flower on it and it has all that great native uh, ecological benefit of the species, Mm -hmm. but brings it down to five to six feet and without pruning or shearing a really great rounded form. Right. And so you have the great pollinator benefit, the great benefit of the soaking up of water and helping with uh, wetland uh, mitigate or wetland restoration project. It's great for waterfowl in fall. All of those great benefits, but is adapted, has naturally evolved into just a better shape and form that fits into our landscapes today. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay. Give us a few more native R's that you're loving right now. So I love, there's one, uh, it's called Winterberry. Okay. So especially for those of us in zone four, we need some things that are going to give us a little bit of love in the winter. Mm-hmm. And so Winterberry, Ilex verticillata, is one that is great, a great native plant here. But again, can get really big and rangy, doesn't have great form. Um, berries on some of the native can be a little bit sparse. And so there's one called Wildfire um, that is a little bit more refined in shape but it has much bigger and brighter berries on it. So not only visually is that really beautiful for us, Mm -hmm. but it's great for birds too, because as they're going into winter, they've got that really visible fruit that they can go eat. Yeah, they don't, yeah, they don't have to travel as far. Does that make the birds lazy? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) They got to move. They got to stay warm, right? (laughs) No, I think songbirds and such can, they need as much help as they can give them. Yeah, exactly. All right, one more native R, tell us. And then I want to talk about new plants. Sure. Okay, one more native R that you love. Well, maybe I'll combine this a little bit because I have two that are new that are also native R. So there's uh, Physocarpus Mm -hmm. is the Latin name and uh, Ninebark is the common name, native to our part of North America here in Minnesota. Um, That is a fabulous multi-season plant. It's like, it's one of those functional plants that maybe sometimes gets overlooked because it's like, oh, it's a foliage plant, but... Well, physocarpus, I mean, older varieties, folks might see them pruned as hedges. They're kind of stuffy looking. 
bare spots, but no. And they get overgrown, they get powdery mildew, which like, especially on a darker leaf one, if you have Mm -hmm. that powdery mildew, it's like ghostly almost by the time you get through like August when we have really bad humidity. Like that's not beautiful. We don't want that. And then it starts defoliating early and we need to hold on to our leaves as long as we can here in Minnesota. And so there are some native R's. So they're cultivated. They were bred um, actually locally here in Minnesota um, to not have powdery mildew issues that are of different sizes for our landscape and some different color leaves, which because the native species has some darker leaf, has some lighter leaf, we're not adapting that to a point where it wouldn't be still beneficial for insects and pollinators, but really vibrant colors. So if you have a um, really beautiful chartreuse one that's also new for 2023 called Lucky Devil. So cute. Which is like if you need that really bright pop of green with cool texture leaf, white blooms in spring, nice fall color. That's a fabulous one. There's another one new for 23 as well called Spicy Devil. So kind of like sister plants that you can put in the landscape. This one's got like almost like caramel, red, orange, new growth, beautiful white flowers against that dark foliage all summer and then even like more purple red leaves in the fall. So plants that give you more than just a hedge. They've got the flowers, great summer color, great fall color, great backdrops to the landscape, but also native, more refined, and powdery mildew resistant. How large do these new ones? So the two new ones are going to get five to seven feet. So those are much more like hedge form. Uh And then you also can have some that are a little smaller. Mm -hmm. So you can have something like a fireside nine bark, little devil that might be a little bit smaller that are uh, just stunning native ours as well but can fit yeah. different sizes in the garden i mean newer i don't know how how uh, you would know best but it seems like over time and time starts to go faster and faster but uh it seems like over time we're getting smaller more compact shrubs for the landscape things that are a little bit more well behaved like three to four feet tall three to four foot wide and for me it's super manageable they're lower maintenance and it doesn't block my view of everything yeah. Yeah, I think there's a place for some of the larger stuff as we need, like screening hedges. But Mm -hmm. that's a great backdrop to the landscape. But as you move a little bit closer to where you're actually like in and experiencing a lot of that and talking about maintenance, that's a great piece. A great point is like we don't want to have these massive hedges that we have to maintain. And that's all we have. Like having the little meatballs are are nice sometimes and not just all green meatballs like boxwood has a place but having other small plants like popstar which is a new hydrangea that's coming out in 2023 let's hear about popstar i i might have to get this (laughs) or like i might get 12 actually so it's a new hydrangea (laughs) in endless summer okay endless summer is the best-selling collection of garden hydrangeas in the world but it is from here in Minnesota. So we've got that great local connection. Yeah. But they came to the market about 20 years ago. And beca- they came to market because they are zone four hardy, which traditional older varieties. The macrophylla. Of the macrophylla, the big leaf hydrangea, mm-hmm. did not thrive here. They could yeah. survive, but wouldn't flower because the flowers were set, the flower buds were set last fall. And yeah. with our cold winters, they don't always survive. Yeah. So, so you didn't really get a lot of blooms. The macrophyllas typically set bud on old wood. Yep. Right. And then endless summer has a gene that allows it to rebloom. So it blooms on old wood with the flower buds from last year, but also new wood. Okay. And so over these last 20 years, as we've continued working on the plants, 
we have better and better genetics. And so Popstar literally sets the standard for the whole category of big leaf hydrangea for rebloom. In our trials, we would do cutbacks. So we would take all the old buds off, cut it back just a couple inches, just to see what horsepower it has to put out new blooms. And it would put out new blooms in four weeks. Wow. So it was like more than double the speed of any other variety in trial. Yeah, I think that's why people, folks who get frustrated, you have a, a tough winter and you get some of the bud on old wood. Hold on, I'm going to talk yep. slowly so I don't <laughs> get mixed up here. You have that dieback in the winter and then it takes so much time. And especially if you have a late cold spring. You're not going to get that bud set for yep. however many weeks, but this is really exciting. Yeah. I mean, I always say if you want a green meatball, buy a green meatball. If you want a hydrangea, buy a hydrangea that can bloom. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, thinking about Endless Summer, the original, which depending on where it's placed here in Minnesota right. can be fabulous. Super, yeah. Or, exactly. or it can be a green meatball mm-hmm. if it's not like in the right spot. And so I think about it like a car. Like I might drive the same type of car that I drove 20 years ago, but... I drive the newer version because they make it safer and better. Like, same thing with plants. So, like, we spent 20 years getting these better and better for that old wood bud hardiness so that Mm -hmm. they can survive the winter, that speed to rebloom, the color of the bloom, and then size. Mm -hmm. You know, we were talking about the more compact varieties. This one's only going to get 18 to 24 inches in Minnesota with our shorter growing season. So it's great for that front of border. It's great in a deco pot. And that mass of color and that rebloom, you're going to get flowers summer all the way through late fall until we get past that hard freeze. So pretty. Okay, so those are three new exciting varieties. Anything else coming down the line? One of my other favorites is technically technically was new last year, but like plants just take a little while to get yeah, in the marketplace. Sometimes they're not so like, available or yeah. they sell out right away. So yeah. it's new. So this other new one is also a hydrangea, but this is panicle hydrangea. So right. this is one that blooms only on new growth. Mm-hmm. It's going to bloom usually about July in Minnesota. It's got that cone-shaped bloom. This one's called Little Hottie. Ooh. And this one is another one that is more compact. Probably going to get three, four feet here in Minnesota. We've had it in our trial block for over five years, and it's not bigger really than about three and a half feet. But the thing that makes this one so special is the amount of flowers on it. It blooms so much you can almost not see the green leaves. Wow. Which is so cool. It's just like this mass of really incredible flower power in the middle of summer, ages to a really beautiful parchment in fall. But again, it's a great foundational plant, so it's not going to pop up over your windows if you plant it there. Um, Great specimen plant if you want to put it sort of in like the middle of a bed to draw your attention there with that beautiful white, brilliant white color uh, in in summer and late summer. Yeah. It's just a fabulous, fabulous new plant. And because it blooms on new growth, you don't really have to worry about what happens in the winter. Leave those stems up, leave those flowers up so that we can have our pollinators and our insect friends live there throughout the Mm -hmm. winter. And then as the snow starts to melt, you go go cut it back by about Mm -hmm. a third. Keep those stems strong. Yeah. It's going to flush back out and be beautiful again. I mean, I always kind of talk about Minnesota as like the hydrangea capital of the world. Well, (laughs) a lot of hydrangeas were discovered here, which is awesome. I mean, you go out to the coast, you know, East Coast, Cape Cod, you know, hydrangeas. Yeah, they can grow a few more varieties. But Minnesotans love their hydrangeas, and that's because of perform. And there's several that are even hardy to zone three. Anyway, we could talk about hydrangeas for <laughs> That's a whole other talk. <laughs> three more episodes. I gotta I gotta do a we have to have a pop quiz. Okay. Oh. Full Sun Garden, five plants in the style of Martha. So full sun, we're gonna do Fullish Sun. Well we can do little hottie. Okay, little hottie. We got that. We wanna do probably some coneflower, echinacea. Oh, what color? Don't you think? Yeah. Well, let's do okay, so we've got white. Yeah. From Little Hottie, if we do 
um, purple yep. coneflower. Then let's do uh, Little Mischief Rose. Okay. You know Little Mischief? Not, not I okay, don't know. So I know Mischief, but it's so I don't know that one. It's that so one. it's low growing. Okay. And it's got tons of clusters of these little beautiful flowers on them, but it's just like this mass of them. What color? What color? Did like you say? Vibrant pink. Oh, you said, okay. So okay. you've got a little bit of that vibrant pink. You got a little bit of that, uh, the purple of the coneflower peeking up. You've got the hydrangea. Mm-hmm. Then let's add in some irises. Irises. Okay. So like a Siberian iris, Caesar's mm-hmm. brother. So we have a little bit of something earlier in the season before we're going to have the hydrangea blooming. The roses might be starting, but then you've got that really cool blade shape of the iris leaf that's yeah, going to come that pop looks up cool through there. Too. So again, it like adds a little bit of that depth and that texture mm-hmm. in there. And then let's add in well. Okay, so let's we can add in a grass. Yeah, so let's I was do. Say you gotta, you gotta have some sort of grass in there, even if it's just like a sedge, just to have uh-huh. like a little bit of that lower growing texture, but it's still gonna pop up over mm-hmm. your the roses that are in there because they're so low growing. But then I'm gonna cheat and put one more one in more. there because I think you gotta have like an edible. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. What do you? Martha think? loves an edible, so yeah. maybe this is planted um, near a pergola or an arbor. Put some grapevines on there. Okay. Because they, it, we have some great Minnesota hardy grapes. It's going to cover the that arbor, so it's going to give you some nice shade underneath oh. there. Then also add a little fruit in. You know, that's more bang for your thing. buck. Uh, so, so six plants for five. Six plants. <laughs> I mean, that was easy. You designed that in a snap. I'm loving it. I'm going to sit out there for happy hour. I actually tasted some Minnesota grapes uh, last summer at the Arboretum, and they were amazing. The Arboretum has done such great work eating yeah. a lot of the uh, those Minnesota cold-hardy grapes. Yeah, so good. Okay, let's do one more garden design. Should we do, let's see here. Let's do Tommy for full sun. Five plants. Does it have to be here in Minnesota? Well, well, we could do stuff like that we could pop in and out, too. Okay. Because that's always a fun thing. Okay. You know, if you want to, like... Have like a little pot and pot action. Okay. Yeah, I like pot and pot. Because like you've got so many beautiful tropicals here too mm-hmm. that you could even like cool banana leaf. Okay. Like that's a great one that you can do and just have a little socket in your ground. Or maybe we could put the banana leaves kind of by the front of the house. Yeah. Okay, got it. So you've got like that green, big, beautiful broad leaf. Mm-hmm. Then let's see, what else? We could put some, uh, it's me, so I have to do hydrangeas again. Okay. But this time let's do... Um, Blushing Bride hydrangea. Okay. Do you know Blushing Bride? Yeah. So it's got that beautiful white flower. It's going to be a little bit bigger, yep. but maybe have those as anchors as well. And then let's do Blackhawks Big Blue Stem. Oh, you talked about that. Oh, one. I love it. I love it. If you don't have Blackhawks, it's newer. Okay. Um, it comes from a breeder in uh, Illinois. So it's really cold hardy. Um, comes from intrinsic perennials, but Big Blue Stem is native to our space here in Minnesota. Um, but it's got that really deep, like purple black stem almost, then a little bit of seed head on the top, so it adds a little bit of texture, but it's super structural. And so having that as um, it can be in a deco pot mm-hmm. or it can be planted almost like in mass, so you have like a black a block of that. Like in a square in the or a rectangle totally. kind of shape. Yeah. Um, and then maybe do a boxwood hedge okay. around it. So you have that. You got some of the white hydrangea that's going to give you some of that earlier-ish color, summer color. Then you've got the Blackhawks that are coming up behind it. Um, then I think let's do some sort of like low-growing white annual in front oh, of the boxwood okay. hedge. What's your favorite annual uh, that would be white? white annual. Well, oh, I'm so girly, though. I like the, I'm a, my Martha. I was going to say <laughs> Profusion Zinnias. Um, Vinca would be pretty. Vinca would be beautiful. I think Vinca would probably be the most Tommy that I can think yeah, of off I love the top it. of my head. Love it. Yeah. So then you're playing with, like, a 
fairly monochromatic color mm-hmm. scheme. You've mm-hmm. got structure, mm-hmm. but you still have like that the big broad leaf, the finer leaf. Yeah, it'd be, it would be beautiful. Do you want some purple basil in there? Oh, that would be lovely. Okay. Just like a little pop of color. Yeah, let's put Because it doesn't go crazy. No. But I love oh, it. this is so fun. We could do this <laughs> all day. Thank you, Ryan, for joining us today for a book talk and then also for taking time to record a podcast with me. This has been uh, so much fun. I am lusting after spring. Uh, anything in closing? Well, first of all, thank you so much. Yeah. It's been such a treat to be in the store today and be around green things again. I know. And thanks for having me on the podcast. And I'm just super excited for people to get out and dig in the ground. Uh, have some fun this year. Have fun. Yeah. Don't take yourself too seriously. Yeah. Yeah. You can't. Right. No. And we were talking earlier, like sometimes things die and you learn they, from it. And like, that's part of the fun of gardening. Mm-hmm. It's it's a forever hobby. Forever. And it's the best hobby. It is. Where can people find your book? You can find my book anywhere locally. Okay. You can find it here. Yeah, we're going to have it here on the shelves. And you can find it anywhere online, too. Well, we'll link it. Uh, we'll have it for sale in the online shop. We'll link it in the show notes. I'll link some of the plants we talked about today as well. And, of course... Ryan, can people reach out to you with questions? Of course. Okay. Find me on Instagram, Ryan Plants Plants. Okay. Or RyanPlantsPlants.com. You can DM me. You can send me an email. All right. I'd love to talk. I'd well, love to help. It's fun. It's so fun. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. That's it for this week's episode of Your Greenhouse Home, the podcast. I am your host, Jesse. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you at Tonkadale.